online that are joining in with us this morning. Good morning, guys, and welcome to New Life Church in Mobile. So glad that you're with us this morning, man. We're excited to be in the house of the Lord. And, uh, man, we're in week three of our sermon series entitled Fan the Flames. This has been a great sermon series. The week one, we talked about fanning the flame into our finances. And you can go back and listen to that. We talked about last week fanning the flames into our families. I'll encourage you to go back and listen to that. It's on our Facebook page. You can download our app. And you can follow along, listen to the audio. You can go to Spotify. All the messages are on Spotify as well. And you can go back and take a look at that. But this is week three, and we're jumping into a topic that I love to talk about. Y'all know what that is? No, nobody knows. We're talking about fun. Y'all say fun. We're fanning the flames into fun this morning. And again, the notes are on the app. If you have the app, you can follow along with all the notes here. But I want to talk to you about fanning the flame into fun this morning. But it's not going to be the fun that you are thinking about. Because most people think fun is an activity. But fun is not an activity. It can be an activity. You could do things that are fun as an activity. But fun necessarily isn't an activity. Fun is an attitude. Fun is optimistic. Fun is faith. You know, faith is fun. When you have faith, that's a lot of fun. You don't have faith, you're not having any fun. I don't know if you realize that or not, but faith is fun. It's optimistic. Uh, there should be an, ex an excitement and joy when you think about your faith journey. When I think about my faith journey, has it been difficult at times? Absolutely. But at the same time, it's also been a lot of fun. Because I've been on some adventures and some journeys in my life that I never would have walked on if I would have never taken a faith journey. And, set, and walking that faith journey has led me to a place of purpose. And everybody wants to know, what's my purpose? What, 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 what am I supposed to do with my life? And once you take that adventure on a faith journey, I'm telling you, it's the greatest adventure that you will ever take in your life. And along the way, it should be fun. It shouldn't be all serious and Doom and gloom all the time. It should be fun. You know, the good news is fun. It's not heavy. When you hear good news, do you hear some good news and go, oh, I just wish I wouldn't have heard that good news? Or do you rejoice when you hear good news? You rejoice. When you hear some good news, it makes you happy. It makes you excited. You don't hear good news and just, oh, let me put some ashes on my forehead and lament. Let me go into my closet and weep because I just heard this good news. No, when you hear good news, you want to share with someone. This, Girl, guess what I just heard? Aren't you excited about this? You want to share the good news. And it's the same thing with the good news of the gospel. When we share the good news, man, it should be in an excitement in your heart because, first of all, that your sins can be forgiven. And second of all, that you can have a way to spend eternity with Jesus forever. Now, there's nothing heavy about that at all. But we can make uh, serving God and Faith, we can make it so serious. And it could be to the point where it's like, well, if, if, if that's what you call fun, then I don't want no parts of that. And the world can begin to look at believers and say, well, if they're all serious and heavy like that, then guess what? I don't think I want to follow that. But when we hear good news, it should make uh, the, the world and unbelievers say, you know what? I need to have what they have. And what, what makes them want to be attracted to that is fun. But again, it's not an activity. 
is faith and optimism. When they say that you're optimistic about your future, the world says, I don't know what they have, but I need that. It becomes attractive. And I want to read a passage of scripture for you in Romans 11. Romans 11, verses 11 through 12, it says, did God's people stumble and fall beyond recovery? Of course not. They were disobedient, so God made salvation available to the Gentiles. So what are we talking about? God, obviously, he made salvation available to his people, the, the, the Israelites, the, the Jews. He, make, he made salvation available to them, but they were disobedient. So what did he do? He made it available to the Gentiles. But he wanted his own people, talking about the Jews, he wanted his own people to become jealous and claim it for themselves. Verse 12, now if the Gentiles were enriched because of the people of Israel turned down God's offer of salvation, think how much greater a blessing the world will share when they finally receive it. But how is the world going to receive it if they don't think that it's attractive to have? When you begin to have fun and the world sees that, man, having faith in Jesus and serving Jesus is fun, then guess what? It's going to become more appealing and more attractive to the world. Because at this point, they feel like, well, I'm just having better going out clubbing and drinking. That's more fun than going to church. But when they see the excitement and the joy that you express when you talk about your relationship with Jesus, then guess what? They're going to be just like that scripture you just read about. How much of a blessing is it going to be when the world finally receives it? And they say, you know what? I haven't tried this way, and it's not fun. It may have started off fun, but it sure don't end fun. And sometimes, sadly, it can end in death. But when believers, I mean, non-believers see that we have fun in our relationship with Jesus, I'm telling you, it becomes attractive to them. And they say, I need what you have. I don't know. I may not know how to get it. And I may not finger point what it is that you have, but you have something that I desperately need. But that comes with an attitude in in the perspective of fun, not heavy not, oh, this is, the, this is the rugged way and only a few of those who find it. Is that true? Yes, it's true. But that's not very appealing. You don't walk up to someone and say, let me say hey, sir, let me talk to you. If you were to die right now, you're going to heaven or hell. Uh, I mean, uh, that, is that fun? But if you tell the good news about a Savior that saved your life, let me tell you what he did in my life. Let me tell you how he changed me. Let me tell you how I was hopeless and I didn't have hope. But he came and he gave me a hope in the future and how he saved me and how he changed my mind. And now that's that's a little bit more appealing than you going to heaven or hell right now. Make a decision. That's not appealing. But when they see the passion and what God has truly done in you, I'm telling you, it becomes appealing. And the world says, I need that. So this morning, we're going to fan the flames in fun. Amen. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, thank you again for another, uh, the privilege that it is to come into your presence and seek your words and seek your face. I thank you that you speak to us this morning on the subject of fun. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're talking about fanning the flames of fun this morning. Again, all the notes are on the app. You can follow along. But today we're going to use the story of Saul and David to talk about fun. I'm pretty sure you never thought you would hear a message on Paul, I'm I'm sorry, on Saul and David and think, oh, that's fun. But we're going to extract some things from their story. And I want to encourage you. We don't have time this morning to go and to look into all of their story. But I would encourage you, go and read the life of David. 
Go and read the life of Saul in greater context. And I'm telling you, it is a fascinating story, and you will get a lot of wisdom and understanding, and it's very entertaining. But go back and study this on your own. We're just going to take a little bit of their story and share it this morning and then kind of follow along with that. But we're going to start in 1 Samuel chapter 18. 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 5 through 9, and I'm reading out of the, the NLT. Again, we're talking about Saul and David, but we're talking about fun, fanning the flames into fun. Whatever Saul asked David to do, David did it successfully. So Saul made him a commander over the men of war and an appointment that was welcomed by the people and Saul's officers alike. When the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed the Philistine women from all the towns of Israel, I'm sorry, when David had killed the Philistines, the women from all the towns of the Israel camp came out to meet King Saul. They sang and danced for joy with tambourines and cymbals. This was their song. Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. This made Saul very angry. What's this, he said. They credit David with ten thousands and, with, and me with only thousands. What's next? They'll be making him their king. So from that, time, from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. From that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on who? On David. So the first thing that we're going to talk about when we're talking about fun is this. Fun begins where striving ends. Fun begins where striving ends. And we're going to explain all this this morning to you. One more time, fun begins where striving ends. Who was the one that appointed Saul as king? It was God. God is the one that appointed Saul as king. We just read it. God appointed Saul as king. But when Saul put David in charge of his army, and David became, it says that David became successful in everything that he did. And Saul saw the success of David. And then when he came back from war and he was victorious and all the women in the town came out to sing, Saul has killed his thousands, David his ten thousands, it says that Saul took notice of that and he became jealous. And he said, what's next? Are they going to make him their king? Are, are, are they going to make, but, but Saul lost fact in the point that this, God, Saul, is the one that anointed you and appointed you as king, not the people. And immediately he took his eyes off the one that appointed him as king and put it on the people. So now what he did was he stepped him, he put himself in a position, well, now I have to strive to prove to everyone that I should be king. God was the one that appointed you, Saul, not the people. But he took his eyes off the words that God has spoken over him. And I'm telling you this morning, when you begin to take your eyes off the words that God has spoken to you, what you begin to do is strive in your own strength to prove everything around you. So these are areas I want to give you this morning. How do we strive? Things that we strive in, we just talked about it, proving yourself. Striving begins when you start feeling like you have to prove yourself. All Saul had to do was say, David, congratulations. Because of the wisdom that God has given me, he, called, he gave me the, the wisdom to put you uh, as commander over the armies. And because of that, 
our whole land is successful. Thank you for a great job of leading the troops. That's not what he did. What he did was he felt, oh, the people, oh, they, they're looking at David now. Now I have, let me prove and rise up to myself that, that let me show the people I am, because now they're going to try to make him the king. But no, no, no. God appointed you King Saul. And because of that, he kept a jealous eye, but he felt the need to, I have to prove who I am. And I'm telling you, when you get in this place where you feel like you have to prove yourself to other people, that is a tireless journey. We're talking about faith journey. Proving yourself is a journey as well. When you just feel like, oh, I got to show them that I'm smart. I got to show them that I can do this. I'm going to prove them wrong. And when you do that, that is a tireless journey, always feeling like you have to prove yourself. Well, I grew up in this neighborhood, or I went to this school, or I, I don't have the background in them, so I just, you don't understand what it was like growing up like me, so I have to, to prove myself. No, you don't. All you have to do is remember the words that God spoke over you and be confident in that. I don't have to, to prove to, well, yes, I do in a sense, but I don't have to walk around saying, I am tomorrow's husband. Let me prove to you by my actions that I, no, I prove to her by my love. I don't have to, everywhere she goes shaking the guy saying, I'm her husband, I'm her husband. What you, what you doing talking to her? What you, why are you talking, why are you talking, I'm her husband. I don't have to do that. I prove by my love and my respect and my actions towards her that she knows and she's confident in the fact that I'm her husband. But if I just feel like I have to prove myself, then that's when you get into some crazy, strange behaviors. People that have a little, they like, some, they cool, but something's just, something's just a little off with them. Like, I don't, I don't really know what, it's something about them. What is that? They're feeling like they have to prove themselves. And it comes off in many different ways. Sometimes it can come off in an awkwardness, where like in the conversation is flowing, then they just say random things to join in the conversation that has nothing to do with what y'all are talking about, but they just feel like they have to say something to prove the worth of who they are. So y'all could be talking about sports, and, and then they take over the whole conversation where they, oh, yeah, because if I was the coach, I would be doing this, this. It's like, bro, but, but we're not talking about that right now. And if you were the coach, you would be coaching right now, but obviously you're not. So why are you talking like you're the coach? And it's like, but... They, people, when they feel like they have to prove themselves, there's no end to what people will do to prove themselves. And that is a tiring, tiring journey. Proving yourself. Don't get in a place where you feel like you have to prove yourself. If God called you to something, allow God to keep you there, because he will, as long as you keep your eyes focused on him. As long as you keep your eyes focused on God and what the word says about you, who cares what the people say, because God is the one that puts you in that position. So I don't have to prove any, I don't have to prove to people I'm the pastor of this church. God is the one that put me here. I didn't put myself here. Now, if I put myself here, then I put myself in a position where now I have to try to prove that I'm the pastor because I know God did not appoint me for this position. But because I know that God did, guess what? I'm confident in the fact that God has placed me here. So guess what? I don't have to prove anything to anybody. I don't have to to come down to try to preach like T.D. Jakes. I'm not T.D. Jakes. I'm not about to try to prove that I can preach like him because I can't. So why try? I'm going to be confident in who God has made me to be, and I'm going to walk in that because I know the words that God has spoken over me. Not only do I know the words that God has spoken over me, I know the words that the Bible says over me. And when I take confidence in what the word says over me, and when you take confidence in what the word says over you, then guess what? You don't have to prove anything to anybody. You're going to take confidence and rest in the fact that God placed me here so I don't have to prove. 
I could take rest and comfort in knowing that, hey, if God sees, he's going to protect me. Amen? So I don't have to strive. Don't try to prove yourself. Where else does striving begin? Or where else do we strive in? We strive when we force things to happen in our own timing. When we force things to happen in our own timing. Or also not trusting God. A simple way to put it. Not trusting God. If God shows you a vision while you're under someone's authority, stay and serve there faithfully until the vision God has shown you becomes clearer and clearer. The thing happens is this. God will show you a glimpse of something, but then we get impatient. We say, oh, God showed it to me, so it must be, it's supposed to happen now. Because why would he show it to me now if it wasn't supposed to happen now? And so we get impatient. God, you showed it to me. I know faith without actions is dead, so I'm going to put my faith into action. Now I'm getting moving, and I'm doing it now. And God is like, well, I just showed you a glimpse. I didn't say that it was time. But because we get impatient and we feel like we learned a little bit, then we want to go out and just rush things and be impatient and not trust God to allow it to happen in his timing. And then you step out there and you start doing stuff, and then you realize, I don't really know where I'm going. I don't really know what I'm doing. Why? Because it's not clear. Because God just gave you what? A glimpse. But what he's trying to do is like, I'm showing you a glimpse of the future, but in the meantime, I need you to stay focused on me and what I placed in front of you. And when, as long as you stay focused on me and what's in front of you, as you keep pursuing and serve faithfully, guess what? It's going to become clearer and clearer what I have for you. And then at that point in, a point in time, then my plans and purposes for you will become clear and it'll be evident, okay, this is the direction I'm supposed to move. Tomorrow and I talk about this all the time with each other, like just how we met and the timing of everything. Like it was such God's timing. And even we were looking back at our journey through ministry. I didn't know that I was going to be uh, called to ministry. Y'all know my story. I thought I was going to play baseball. I had, you told me I would be a pastor. I'll laugh in your face. My pastor, ah, yeah, okay. It's like, I didn't want to be a pastor. I wanted to be an athlete. That's what I wanted to do. But as I began to pursue the Lord and he began to show me a glimpse of ministry, I still didn't know what it looked like. I was like, okay, I feel a passion for ministry. I know God is calling me to this, but I, I don't know what it looks like. So instead of me saying, I know he's called me to ministry, I'm just going to start my ministry. I'm, let me just, I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to serve faithfully to where God has shown it to me in this spot. And for me, it happened to be at Bethany Church, where God showed me the vision or the, the glimpse of my future in ministry. It was at Bethany. So I said, you know what? I'm going to stay here until God makes it clear what he wants me to do not knowing that tomorrow had the same, uh, the same, a little feedback, but tomorrow was having the same experience in her relationship with God as well, where God showed her a glimpse of something, but she didn't know exactly what it was that she wanted to do either. And so what we did was we began to pursue God, and for 16 years, we pursued God faithfully in the local church. And over time, guess what? The vision became clearer and clearer on what God wanted us to do over time but it took 16 years. Is that better? Can you hear me? Check, check. I know it's a distraction, but we're going to keep going, amen? But for 16 years, it, it took 16 years for God to develop what he was trying to develop inside of us for 16 years. Now, I could have aborted 
that and said, you know what, God, I've been waiting too long. I know you called me to this. I know you, I know you called me to this. You showed me a glimpse of this. I'm tired of waiting. I need to, I need to get moved. Time is past and I'm getting older. I, I need to get moving. But I said, you know what, God, I'm not going to move until you say move. And because of that, it was the difference between, and someone prophesied this over me one time. They said that being obedient to God, in a, it was a particular thing, that a situation that I was facing, a decision that I was facing. And it was prophesied, it said, you being obedient to God in this decision will be the difference between you receiving everything you ever dreamed for and the difference between everything you always hoped for. Just this one decision. And I remember, like, this is a pivotal decision. And I remember I made the decision, and now I'm stepping into everything that I felt God has placed in my heart that I ever dreamed of. All because I didn't get impatient in God's timing. Sometimes we could get so impatient waiting on God. Just stepping out, not trusting. And what it is is you don't trust him. It's a lack of trusting God when you don't trust his timing. And I'm telling you this morning, when you don't trust God and you force him to do, you're striving. There is no fun in striving, trying to force things to happen in your own time. Because ultimately, you don't know how it's going to end, but God does. And when you trust him, he will make it clear, and it will be clear. But also, the reason that we jump out and we don't want to trust God is this, is when we do that, we don't allow the pain of development to happen because we exit what God is trying to develop inside of us. Usually when God gives you a glimpse of something, he shows you a glimpse because he's like, now that I showed you the glimpse, I need to develop something inside of you so you can be able to receive what I have for you down the road. But when you get impatient and you do things on your own, what you do is you exit the development that God is trying to do inside of you. So now you're getting frustrated with God. You showed me this, but I can't do it. Yeah, because you stopped uh, pursuing him and, he stopped, and you stopped the development of what he was trying to do inside of you. And if you're not developed, he's not going to give it to you. So don't strive to force things to happen in your own timing. Trust God. Amen? Third way that we strive, being a poser being a poser or projecting something that you're not. What is a poser? A poser is a person who dresses or behaves in a deceptive way that is meant to impress others. That's the literal definition of a poser. A person who dresses or behaves in a deceptive way that is meant to impress other people. So what does that mean practically? It means you dress a certain way because you want people to think you're rich. I'm going to dress like this because I want people to think I have money. Or you, want to, you think you have to drive a certain car because if you drive this certain car, then you're going to think people think, oh, they, they have money, they're rich. So you're projecting an image of what you want people to think that you are. And we can do that all the time. We can walk around just posing, posers. And I was thinking about it, and I was like, have I ever been in a place where I felt like I was posing or projecting? And I was like, I don't think I was necessarily like a poser, but I do remember maybe in conversations where I've said things to project an image that's not true just to make myself look better. And I was like, why did I do that? Why, why did I feel the need to have to say that? What is, that's a poser. When you feel like you have to say certain things or behave a certain way or deceive people into making them think that you're something that you're not. And when we walk around, and some people live their whole lives posing, and it's sad. Especially the older that you get, you see, it's like, bro, why are you still posing, man? You, you've been doing the same thing since high school. 
walking around like you're the big man on campus. We not on campus no more. High school was 30 years ago. But you still walk, I remember back in 82, boy, I led that team to the state championship. Yeah, but what you doing now? You're not the big man, but you po we want to pose this big, this is who I am. Or we put on more than our job. Yes, I'm the uh, vice president of, of secretarial duties, so you're the secretary. You just put the little fancy title on it, and it's like we try to fancy up everything and just to, to deceive others by our behavior or our appearance to project an image that we need, we feel like this is who I want to be. And because you're not confident in who God has called you to be, I want to project who I feel like I should be. But that is a tiring thing as well. And Paul, I'm sorry, Saul, he began to pose as well. You said, well, how did he begin to pose? He began to pose because he put on a posture that he was for David, but all along his intention or his deception was, I'm going to try to have David killed. So he began to say, oh, David, I'm going to put you uh, as the commander of the armies and lead our troops. You're such a great warrior. But the whole time, his whole intent was, maybe if David goes out there and fights this battle, he's going to die. He's going to die in battle. But that's not what happened. He was successful. Then he said, I'm going to show the people that I honor David, so I'm going to give David my daughter as his bride. That, that way the people will think that I, I, but really what he was doing was he wanted to keep David close to him so he was looking for a way, now that David is close to me, now I can have an easier opportunity to kill him when I feel like it. So he was putting on this poser uh, uh, disguise or deceptive behavior because all of because he was jealous of David and he wanted David to die. And when you begin to pose, you begin to deceive others and do things all the way to manipulate to get the things that you feel like you want. But guess what? It's never ending and it never ends well. It's striving. So we have to make sure that, man, I am not a poser. Amen? And also, another reason that people pose is because they are afraid that the closer that you get to them, they fear that you'll recognize who the real them really is. It's like, well, I have to put on this image of who I want people to think I am because if they get close to me and they realize who I really am, then they're going to realize, oh, you don't have it together. as uh, You're not as together as I thought you were. Oh, you may not be as smart as I thought. You don't have as much money as I thought you did. But if I could keep you at a distance, then I could pose all I want. And you can have that image of me all you want. So you keep people at a distance, but you don't ever, never really let people close in. That's another syndrome of posers, that you have to make sure that I'm free from that and I'm not striving to be a poser. Another area, this is the fourth thing that we strive in, is comparison. And comparison is toxic to your soul. It is toxic to your soul. Saul's problem really began when he began to compare himself to David. That's when his problem really began. Because he said, oh, the people are next, they're going to try to make him their king. And when he began to compare himself to David, oh, Saul has killed his, uh, they started singing that song, Saul killed his, ten, his thousands, David his ten thousands. And they started singing, and he started comparing himself to David. Now they're going to try to make him their king. And he kept a jealous eye on David, all because now he's comparing himself to somebody else. But all the time, he forgot, who's the one that appointed you king, Saul? It was God. You don't have to compare yourself to anybody else, because when you start comparing, you start allowing that stuff to mess with your soul, 
and it becomes toxic to your soul. Comparison is deadly, and that is a poison that you do not want to drink. Because what it ultimately does is it robs your faith experience and trust in God. Because you will always be captivated by what, else, what someone else has and not what God wants for you. And when God wants to bring you on a faith journey to show you what I have for you, you begin to despise it and don't treasure it because all you see is what somebody else has as what the things and what they have is the things that you think that you want. And you despise what God has for you. Don't despise what God has for you by comparing yourself to somebody else. That is a deadly, deadly, non like that striving right there of comparison is no ending. Because you, they got a new car, I got a new car. They got a new I got to get a bigger house. They got a new job, I need a new job. And you're constantly comparing yourself to them, or, or it could be a sibling. Or you could feel like, and God forbid, it's a comparison in marriage. Oh, my wife doing good? I got to do better than her. I can't let my husband outdo me. And, and it's like, what is, what is this, this comparison? Because comparison, it divides. It really, it, comparison can separate best of friends. You're like, man, we used to be so close. It could drive away marriages when there's comparison in marriages because you, you're like, well, we used to be so close. What happened? Well, you start getting a jealous eye of them, comparing yourself to them and feel like I'm not enough, so I have to do more. And now what you're doing is striving because all you're doing is comparing. I can't let them outdo me. I see what you have over there. They, they got, the, ooh, did you see the new bag she got? I got to get a new bag, too. Oh, you saw them new shoes he had? He got the new Jordans? I got to get them, too. And it's like always comparing and you striving just to, in the end, who cares? It's, it's like, who cares? But it becomes important to you when you strive in that, and that becomes the big focus. So fun begins where striving ends. So we're not going to strive anymore improving ourselves. We're not going to strive in forcing things to happen in our own timing. We're not going to be a poser, and we're not going to compare. Amen? Amen? But this is the second point. Fun is found in development. Fun is found in development. No matter your age or season of life, we should always aspire to continue to develop ourselves. It is fun when you develop. Now, on the flip side of this story, we've been talking about Saul a lot. Let's talk about David. David was a teenager at the time when he was anointed as king. When the prophet came to say, hey, line up all your, Jesse, give me all your sons because we need a king. And he lined them all out. And he brought them all. These are my sons. Take a look at all my sons. These are my, my I'm proud of my sons. They're handsome. Look at them. Look at them. Look at them. And he's like, nah, nah, it's none of them. Do you have any other sons? Oh, yeah, it's David, but he's out there in the field with the sheep. Bring him here. Brought David out. This is the one. And he began to pour the oil over David's head and anoint him as king. But David was anointed as king in that moment. He wasn't appointed as king at that moment. So what happened between the time that he was anointed and appointed? He developed himself. While everybody out, everybody else was going out working, doing all these things, David was in the fields developing himself. So when he was protecting the sheep and he was out there writing psalms and singing praises to God, developing himself, drawing closer to God, 
when the, 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 the sheep were being attacked by bears and lions, and he was going out there defending them and killing them with his hands. So when it was time for him to face a Goliath, guess what? He was able to conquer him because he had been developing himself. When all the time, he was just, and think about this, when in David's development, he wasn't even trying to be known. He was perfectly happy as being the person, in the, as a shepherd, tending to the sheep. He was act, the reason that he ended up killing Goliath was because he was bringing some lunch to his brothers. He was bringing some food to his brothers, and then he noticed that this uh, Goliath was out there taunting the, uh, the camp, the Israel, that he, was, that he was out there taunting them, and he was like, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? He was like, why y'all letting this man talk to y'all like this? Did he talk about y'all mama, and y'all just going to let him talk about y'all mama like this? Like, y'all not going to say nothing? And David was like, well, let me fight him. But he was developed in a point where he's like, I know who is on my side because I've developed myself in a relationship with him. So I'm confident that he's going to be with me to give me victory over this giant. Now, I know y'all just afraid and y'all y'all hadn't been developing yourselves, but I have. Guess what? I'm ready for war. And he slaughtered him with a rock, not even a sword. But then he took his sword and cut his head off. But David had been busy developing himself. And you know how long it took from David, the time that David was anointed to appoint as king? It was 15 years. It was 15 years from the point where David was anointed as king to he was actually the king. It was 15 years. And David was busy developing himself in that 15-year period. So what am I saying this morning? It doesn't matter how old you are, what season of life you're in, never stop developing yourself because when you develop yourself there is fun there's nothing more exciting about learning something new or discovering something new about yourself but when you stop discovering things about yourself and about God and about it's boring because you you there's no new perspective there's no there's nothing that's challenging or exciting to you it's just the same old same old and you're like well I mean what's your favorite food I like hamburgers well, have you tried this? Oh, no, I'm not trying that. Mm -mm, I, don't, I don't try new things. And it's just, it just becomes boring. Life becomes routine because you stop developing. You stop trying new things. So we're going to talk this morning right now about areas to develop. But the thing about development is this, is that don't take yourself too seriously. Don't take yourself too Everything isn't serious. I believe church should be fun. It should be a place of joy. It should be a place where you could come in and you can laugh, and I'm talking about laugh, laugh. Like, have a good time and enjoy yourself. But because fun isn't an activity, again, it's an attitude and a mindset. Enjoy being here, wherever you are in the moment. Enjoy being there. Enjoy being a part of something. Most of the time, your attitude is what stops your development. Usually what stops people's development is their attitude, well, I'm too old to learn new things. I'm, I'm an old dog. You can't teach an old dog new tricks. It's like, no, that's your attitude that's stopping you from developing. Don't allow your attitude to stop you from development. Amen? So these are areas we're going to develop in. First of all, we're going to develop in our relationship with God. This should be the number one area that is a continual development. We develop uh, our relationship with God. There should always be a pursuit of God where you're developing and you're remembering profound moments. 
throughout your walk with the Lord, you should always be able to recount, I've had profound moments in the presence of God and go back to him and say, I can tell you the spot that I was in when I had those profound moments with the Lord. If it's hard for you to create or to remember profound moments with the Lord, it's probably because your development stopped at some point. But as long as you keep developing in your relationship with God, guess what? You're going to continue to have profound moments in his presence, in his word, when he speaks to you. And you can always go back to those moments because you're continuing in your development. But when you stop developing the Lord, you're just going to be holding on to that word that you received 10 years ago, which is great. But what about today? God is speaking today, and he wants to speak to you today. But as long as you stop your development, you stop developing in ways that God can speak to you. You stop developing in ways that God can use you. But we need to make sure that I'm developing. Develop how to pray. Focus in on God's prayer. You know, you have to develop how to pray. Praying, I don't know if you realize this or not. Maybe you do. But when you first get saved, maybe you don't know how to pray. I know I didn't. How do I pray? Uh, the Lord's Prayer. That's the only prayer I knew. And that's the only thing I would pray because I didn't really know how to pray. But over time, I began to develop myself in prayer. So when I got in corporate prayer moments, I wasn't just sitting there, standing there, looking at everybody like, I wonder what they're praying about. And I would see people engaged in prayer, and I'm like, man, they look like they're really enjoying this. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. And I'm just standing there looking. And I'm like, man. And at some point, it hit me. Maybe I should develop how to pray. Maybe this is an area I need to grow in. I need to develop myself in prayer. And so what I did was I just went in my room, and I would read scriptures, or if God spoke something to me, I would just simply pray what I felt like God spoke to me. And I began to develop prayer in my own personal time. So when I came in corporate moments, it wasn't this big thing where I felt like I don't know what to do. Because sometimes you could get lost in the room, like, I don't know what people praying. I don't know what's going on. But when you begin to develop yourself in prayer, it doesn't matter if it's 20 people or 1,000 people in the room. You can focus in on God. But that's another thing you have to develop, too, is focus in on God. Because you can get in God's presence and know how to pray, but still not focus in on God. You can still be thinking about, man, I, I can't wait to get out of here because I got to go. I'm hungry, and I'm just tired. I just need to take a shower and get in bed, and then tomorrow I got all these things that I got to do, and, man, I got that meeting at 1030, and, and then after that, I got, man, it's just so much I got. And you cannot focus in on God's presence, but you have to develop. I'm going to block out the distractions, and when I'm in God's presence, I'm going to focus in on him. But you have to develop yourself in it. That's not something that just naturally comes. Some people might. But for me, it's something I had to develop in. I said, you know what? I got to eliminate all these distractions, and I have to develop myself to focus in on God's presence. And I remember focusing in on God's presence. What I would do is uh, my parents would be off to work, and I would have morning classes and some afternoon classes. But whenever I would have breaks in classes, I would go back home, and I would turn on worship music in the house, I'm talking about as loud as I could, and I would walk around the house praying and worshiping God, screaming and shouting, because I knew nobody was there so nobody could see me. And I would develop myself in prayer in my house. And I'm talking about just looking back, it's funny, but I was developing myself in prayer. And I, it, looking back, it was so silly. I would turn that music, I just declare. And I'm just sitting there going crazy, praying in the God's presence. And it's funny now, but it developed me. It helped me get a passion for prayer, 
And I said, because I was serious about I need to learn how to pray. So what did I do? I practiced prayer. I developed myself in prayer. And you have to develop yourself because it's not something that's just going naturally that you're going to get. You're going to have to develop yourself in your relationship with God. What else do we have to develop ourselves in? In our education, in our vocation. In your education and vocation. Always aspire to develop and learn new skills. Never stop learning and developing. Develop. This is the main thing about your education, especially your job. Develop a good attitude. Develop a good attitude because your attitude can determine if you're having fun or not. Your attitude will determine if you like your job or not. Because I remember I was on a job that I did not like, and I was ready to quit. And I was ready. I didn't want to go there. Every time I thought about the job, I was like, this is not it. I don't want, and I was talking to someone, and they said, oh, you got two options. It's like, you can either quit or change your attitude. And I was like, well, I want to quit, but I can't because I need the money. So I guess I need to change my attitude. And I changed my attitude. And you know what? The job got a lot better. It got a lot better because, one, I changed my attitude. But you have to make sure that you have a great attitude, develop a good attitude. Because what you can do is you can self-sabotage yourself on the job by your bad attitude. Your bad attitude, you can self-sabotage your own self. Why can't I get the promotion? Why don't they never look at me for that? Because your attitude is terrible. Nobody wants to work with you. And if your attitude is bad and nobody wants to work with you, don't look for promotion because it's probably not coming. Matter of fact, they're trying to find somebody to replace you now because your attitude is so bad. So you need to develop a good attitude. And there's this guy. I don't know his name. I don't know anything about him. I just know that he has a good attitude at his job. And he works at Winn-Dixie. And he's the guy that he goes out and he gets the buggies and pushes them in. And every time I see him, he's, he's got a, like a, a, a dress shirt, like not a, not, he's got a white long dress shirt and not just a, like a little t-shirt. And he's always got a smile on his face. He's speaking to everybody. I'm like, bro, it's 100 degrees out here. I'm not wearing a long sleeve white shirt. I'm going to wear a t-shirt and a hat or something. It's hot out here. But he's always dressed nice. He always has a good attitude. And I always say, you know what? That is a person that enjoys their job. I don't know if he does or not really, but it sure see he's putting on a good act if he doesn't. But his attitude is so good that I don't know anything about him. I just know that his attitude is in a place where that's the person you can aspire to be. That's an attitude that I need to have towards my job. It's just He just has a good attitude. I remember I was working at a bank, and I had a girl. She was training me. And every morning, she would come in. We would sit at the desk, and I even have a video when I thought about playing it. I was like, I'm not going to play the video. But she would come in, and she would play music every single morning at her desk. She would play her music. She would get her breakfast, and then she would prepare for the day. And, I, and I'm watching, and I'm talking. She in her seat dancing and, and singing along to the song. I'm talking about getting excited about the day. But she made it fun. It was like her attitude was so great that even my hesitation about the job, it made me calm down and say, I can do this because her attitude was so great that it was, it was contagious. And I said, you know what? I can do this. This is fun because she made it fun. Be the person at your job that people say, I want to work with you. That's the person. And what happens is favor becomes on your life because they see this person has a good, I can trust you with this responsibility, I can trust you with this promotion because I know, first of all, your attitude is gonna be good and it's gonna cause others around you attitude to be better as well. 
But if you had a bad attitude and you're a cancer to them, guess what? Let's get rid of them. We're not putting them in charge of nobody because they're going to affect other people as well, and they're going to get that same bad attitude that they have, and you're going to be out the door looking for another job. Develop a good attitude. Learn new skills. It was obvious to David that Saul was, and that's why I say go back and read the story because I, I know we didn't read a lot of it, but in the story, David was well aware that Saul was trying to kill him. He was throwing spears at my man. He, David come in and play the harp. While David's playing the harp, he's throwing spears at him, trying to kill him. And then finally, David saw, was with his men, and they were in the cave hiding. And they finally saw Saul in there, and his men said, this is your moment, David. Now you can get Saul. You can kill him. He don't know that you're in here. Sneak up on him and attack him. And this is what David said. I shouldn't attack the Lord's anointed one, for the Lord himself has chosen him. That's in 1 Samuel chapter 28, uh, 1 Samuel 24, I'm sorry. You could go back and read that whole story in the context of that. He said, I'm not going to touch him, for he is the Lord's chosen. The Lord has chosen him. So even in the midst of harsh treatment, when he knew, knew that this man is trying to kill him, and he said, my enemies are before me. I can kill him. He said, no, I'm not going to touch the Lord's anointed one because God has chosen him. David developed a good attitude even in the midst of harsh treatment. What's hard for us to do? Develop a good attitude in the midst of harsh treatment. Because we feel like I deserve better than this. Do you know how hard I worked to get here? Do you know all that I've done? And, you, and this, is the, this is the thanks I get? In harsh treatment, I'm telling you what it is, is a blow to our pride. It's a blow to our ego and to the dedication. And, the and I, let me tell you, I know people work hard. Everybody, you should work hard. And you should be compensated well and, and get accolades and all that. I believe that. But at the same time, in the, even in the midst of harsh treatment, you have to develop a good attitude in the midst of harsh treatment. David was a, an example of how to respond in the midst of Man, I, your boss might not like you, but they're not trying to kill you. You're not going to work every day. They, I know they're going to pull out the machete on me today. I can't turn my back in my cubicle because I know they're going to come and try. They're not trying to kill you. They might make your job a little difficult, but they're not. This man was facing death, and he still and he had an opportunity to kill him. But he said, you know what? I'm not going to touch the Lord's anointed one. God has chosen him. God will deal with him but all of it because he developed a good attitude in the midst of heart. That's why the attitude is so important, y'all. A good attitude. Develop a good attitude, especially on the workplace. Another area that we're going to develop is we're going to develop in our relationships. Develop in our relationships. Part of our mission statement here is developed in relationships. We're united in the truth, developed in relationships. That's, that's who we are. That's what we believe. So in relationships, this is a good place to develop good attitudes about meeting new people. You could get, we could get real closed off and meeting new people. Ah, I'm good on meeting new people. I don't really know what to say. It could be kind of awkward. So how do I introduce myself? And it could be very, yeah, a social awkwardness or whatever about meeting new people. We should develop a good attitude about meeting new people. And when we work to develop new relationships, it is ultimately important for the success of the kingdom of God. Because when we partner together and develop relationships in the kingdom of God, there's no stopping to what we could do together. But we have to develop in relationships 
with each other to help advance the kingdom of God. Because these are things about developing in relationships that a lot of times we don't even think about. You could develop such great relationships with someone that just because you spent time and intentional time developing that relationship, it can open up doors of other areas of your life that you didn't even know were possible. You can have experiences and opportunities that would never been available to you if you didn't develop those certain relationships that you have. I can't tell you how many relationships that I've formed with people that we maybe come from different walks of life, different backgrounds that had nothing in common, but we still had a kingdom uh, uh, mindset or we had a kingdom purpose. And we say, because of the kingdom of God, this is a relationship is worth developing. And it opened up doors for me that I'm like, how in the world did I get in, in these rooms that I'm in? How did I get to experience these things that I'm experiencing? And why? Because it was developed in those relationships. And a lot of things, the key things that you don't even realize this is that there could be relationships even in this room that can unlock potential things for your career that you don't even know. You say, well, how do you know that's true? Because I've seen it happen time and time again. Through just a simple conversation, hey, I, man, I've been looking for a new job. What? You, you a what? I know a man, a guy, a lady, they were just looking for someone in this position. I'm going to give you their contact information. Let me connect you two guys together and see what they say. And bam, instant connection that you would never had if you didn't develop yourself in that relationship. And there's so many times where you don't know the richness of relationships. Sometimes a relationship, you could develop in a relationship, it could bring a source of healing. Because you could develop in that relationship, at some point you would have a conversation with that person that they would share an experience with you. They're like, wow, that really resonated with me. And that brought so much healing. And it could bring clarity to situations that you walk to as well. It could bring a different perspective. And that's why it's so good not to just always gravitate towards people that maybe look like you or come from the same background as you, but develop yourself in other areas because it gives you a different perspective. And from the kingdom of God, that is always great. When you expand your perspective, but it happens when you develop in relationships. But if you're just closed off to just me and my three and that's it, then you, you expand your development. But we also, in all of our relationships, this is a way to develop your social skills. If you feel like I'm not the most social person, develop them in relationships. Between me and tomorrow, it's obvious she's the social one. It's not me. And I've had to spend time and years to develop myself in social settings because I could very well just go sit in the back of a room and not talk to anybody and be fine and have the time of my life not talking to anybody. But I know as a pastor that it's not good for the church. <laughs> I need to talk to the people. <laughs> so over years, God has developed in me like the ability to say, hey, you need to go talk to people and grow and, and, and develop in relationships. Because I'm telling you, years ago, I'd just be sitting in the back. Hey, how y'all doing? Hey, good to see you. I could, it's, I, I say this all the time, I could drive from here to California and not say one word in the car with somebody and be perfectly fine. Be happy. If, what's wrong? Nothing. I'm happy. I, this is great. Because I, I'm the type, I don't, if I don't feel the need to say something, I don't just have to feel it with empty words. But that's something that I know about myself that could be a strength and a weakness because I can rely on that too and say, you know what, that's just not who I am. That's not my personality. 
Well, when it comes to people, it doesn't matter what your personality is. You need to open up your mouth and talk. <laughs> and But that's something that I had to develop myself in. And also in relationships, develop your social skills, develop your personality. Sometimes you may be trying to figure yourself out. Who am I? I don't know who I am. Well, when you start talking to people, you'll realize things about yourself that you may not realize if you didn't have conversations. You'll realize, man, I, I get a little anxious when I talk to people. Why is that? Now you can begin to ask the Lord, why do I get anxious when I talk to people? Why do I get nervous when I talk to people? Why do I get excited when I talk to people? And you can begin to understand things about your personality when you're developing yourself in relationships. But if you don't do that, you, you always be confused about people just don't get me. Well, do you give people an opportunity to get you, or do you put yourself in situations where you can get yourself? Because sometimes you don't even, we don't even understand ourselves if we don't develop ourselves in relationships. And you ever met someone for the first time, and you're just like, that is a strange bird. <laughs> like, they just, they just from another planet. Usually, it's because of a lack of social engagement. They, don't, they haven't spent the time to develop themselves in relationships, so they do their own thing. And when they come around people, they just start acting weird. And it's not even that they're trying to act weird. They just don't know what else to do because they haven't developed themselves. Relationships are a great way to develop yourself. I'm telling you, we need relationships to develop ourselves. You can develop boundaries in relationships. You realize, okay, you know what? Maybe I can't hang out every day of the week. Maybe I can just hang out these days of the week. And you begin to establish boundaries in your life. Also in relationships, you begin to develop hobbies. You realize, I don't know what I like to do. We'll start exploring, hanging out with people doing. You'll start realizing, oh, I didn't know I liked to paint. Painting is fun. Oh, I didn't know I liked to jog. Jogging is fun, if you like that sort of thing. But it's like, you never know what type of hobbies and things that you would enjoy if you don't open up yourself and develop in relationships. Also, your marriage should be a continual development as well. What areas do you develop in marriage? Develop in your communication, in your expectation, in your serving, in your sharing, eliminating things that separate you and having fun. All, you have to develop fun. All these things in your marriage and your relationships, these are our responsibility to do. It's no one else's but yours. Amen? Amen. And ultimately, don't take yourself too seriously. I can't hang out with them because they're too weird. Well, you're a little weird, too. <laughs> Everybody has a little weird in them. Okay? Oh, they just, mm -mm, I can't hang out with them. They weird. Yeah, you're weird, too. That's, that, that, people talk about you, too. They think you're weird, too. You talk about they weird. They think you're weird, too. But everybody have a little weird in them, and it's like you need relationships because sometimes people can think so much of themselves. Maybe you need to get in some relationships so you can realize maybe God can put you in this situation to humble you. Because you think too high and mighty, I'm too good to hang out with them. Oh, let me step away from Satan. Because you'll realize, and why, I say, why I say that is because you'll begin to say things, and you'll realize that God will begin to convict your heart and say, why did you say that? Because it's a pride inside of you. And you can realize, okay, now God can deal with the pride inside of me on why I think so much of myself in, in this regard where I shouldn't. But you'll never know that if you don't develop yourself in relationships. But relationships should be fun, and we should be intentional in our development. Amen? Amen. I'm going to leave us with this verse in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 18 through 20. It says, even so, I have noticed one thing. At least that is good. It is for good people to eat, drink, 
enjoy their work under the sun during the short life God has given them and to accept their lot in life. And it is a good thing to receive wealth from God and the good healthy and, and the good healthy to enjoy it. To enjoy your work and accept your lot in life, this is indeed a gift from God. God keeps such people so busy enjoying life that they have they that they take no time to brood over the past. God keeps us God keeps such people so busy enjoying life that they take no time to brood over the past. That's the key point I want to focus on right there. When you're enjoying life and you're developed and fun in the Lord, you have no time to brood over the past. You have no time to look at the regrets of the past that the enemy will try to keep in your mind. You say, you know what? That's in my past. I'm enjoying life now in my relationship with God. I'm being developed. I'm excited about my future. I'm not worried about the past. But that all comes from development. You have to continue to develop yourself. And when you develop yourself in every area of your life, boy, I'm telling you, you up for an exciting life. You're excited in your relationships, in your finances, in your relationship with God, in your job, in your vocation, everything. When you begin to develop yourself, now you're opening up the highway to fun because you're continuing to develop yourself. Don't stop developing yourself. But one thing you need to stop doing is striving. All of us do. We Fun begins where striving ends. We have to stop striving, but we have to have fun in developing ourselves. Amen? Amen. Amen. Y'all give the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning. It's fun. Development is fun. So we're going to fan the flames of fun. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you, Lord God, for just your presence. Lord, your presence is so tangible that we have access to it at any point in time. And I thank you that even in this moment right now, that as we uh, conclude this message on fun and development, Lord God, that any of us that are dealing with striving, Lord God, that we would let it go right now and that we would lay it at the foot of the cross. I pray, Lord God, that today is the day that we say that I will make a decision to stop striving. I will stop striving to prove myself. I will stop striving to force things to happen in my own time and not trust you. I will stop striving to be a poser. I won't pose and project of who I want people to think that I am. And I'm going to stop striving in comparison. I'm going to trust and be confident in who you say I am and what the word speaks about me. Lord, I'm going to take solace and comfort and joy and rest and peace in the fact that I know that I am loved by you, that I know that I am called by you, that greater the plans that you have for me, Lord. Lord, that's where my confidence comes from. So I will build on that, and I will focus in on that, and I will develop every area of my life, and I will continue to develop that until I stand before you. Lord, I thank you right now, Lord God, that condemnation and guilt is being broken right now in the name of Jesus from striving. I pray that the weight, the guilt of striving, Lord God, that it will be broken right now in every lie of the enemy that will try to hold us captive to striving, that his works will be broken right now in the name of Jesus. But I thank you that freedom is coming right now, that you're changing our perspective, that you're changing our attitudes towards development and towards fun. And I thank you for it in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can keep your head bowed and your eye closed. I'm going to give one final invitation. That's for 
anyone that wants to come into right relationship with the Lord this morning. Maybe you uh, followed the Lord at one point, but you backed away and you realize, I want to come back into right relationship with God. So if that's you or you want to come into a right relationship with God for the first time, maybe you're watching online and that's you, you find yourself in a position where, man, I need to develop myself in a relationship with God. I want to pray with you this morning. So with no one looking around, if you're online or listening later on or you're in the room right now with no one looking around, if you want to come into right relationship with the Lord, I just want you to lift your hand and I want to pray with you. Amen. Hallelujah. I'm asking everyone just to place their hand over their heart and repeat this after me. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. And today, in this moment, I willingly lay down my sin at the foot of the cross and receive your forgiveness. I thank you that your blood that was spilled out on that cross cleanses me and redeems me and saves me right now. I receive your forgiveness. I receive your mercy. I receive your grace. And I thank you that from this day forth that you would give me the strength to pursue you all the days of my life. I love you. I honor you with my life, with my actions, and with my deeds from this day forth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, y'all give the Lord another hand clap of praise for those that made that decision to follow Christ. And if you're online and you made that decision, uh, just do us a favor. Drop a comment in the comment section. Let us know that uh, you made that decision. Or you can email us at info at newlifemobile.org. Let us know what God did in your heart. We love to pray with you and hear the testimony of what God did in your heart. But also, if you're in the room and you prayed that prayer, there's a card in the seat back in front of you that says, I made a decision. You can fill that out, drop it in the offering bucket on the way out. But let's give it up for one more time for those that made a decision to follow Christ this morning. The greatest decision that you will ever make. So that was week three of Fan the Flames of Fun. So before we dismiss with you guys online, we want to uh, give you an opportunity to give. There's a couple ways that you can do that. You can go to our website, which is newlifemobile.org. You can give that way. You can give on our app. Download the app. You can give on the app, or you can mail in a check or money order to our P.O. Box, which the address is on our website and on our Facebook page as well. So we're going to pray for those uh, that are prepared to give online, and then we'll dismiss you guys online, and we'll continue with our service. Lord, we thank you right now, Lord God, for the generosity of your people. I thank you right now that for everything that's coming in today, that you would bless it and multiply it, Lord God, for the advancement of the kingdom. And I just pray, Lord God, for those that are given the generosity that they're displaying today, Lord God, that you would bless their finances, bless their health, bless every area of their life, bless their families, Lord God, let everything that they do be prosperous. And I bind the enemy, the thief, that will try to come in and hinder what you're doing in their finances, in their life. And I thank you, Lord God, that it's all for your glory and all for the advancement of the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we love you guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. We love to invite you. Every Wednesday, we have prayer at 630, uh, except for the first Wednesday. First Wednesday of the month, we have life groups. You're invited to that as well. But join us every Wednesday, 630, for prayer. First Wednesday of each month is life group. 
We have ladies groups, men's groups. We have groups for kids. So you could be a part of that as well. But we love you guys. Hope you have a great, great Sunday. And come join us. Come be in the building with us. Come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We'd love to see you in the place. Have a great day. We love you guys. We'll see you next time. Amen. Amen.